Hi, this is Mish Hancock, and you are listening to Mishmash, a place where I get to talk to the weird, wacky, wonderful people of this world, people I adore and want to know more about. Today, my guest is Megan Gerhardt. Megan is a professor of leadership, speaker and author of Gentelligence, a revolutionary approach to leading an intergenerational workforce. Hi, Megan. Hello. How are you? Thanks for having me. So this is a hot topic. This is a, this is a, it's an interesting topic because it feels like now more than ever, we've got a whole bunch of generations working together in one place because people aren't retiring like they used to. And, you know, so how did you, how did this become a focus for you? Well, I always tell my origin story on this. So uh, I've been doing this work for about a dozen years formally. So it's been really my passion and focus for the last 10 or 12 years. But I really trace it back to my first few years as a faculty member here at Miami University. I began as a professor when I had just turned 26 years old. So that was pretty young, uh, particularly in comparison to a lot of my colleagues. And so when I started my job, you know, of course, I was I was reaching over to ask them for advice and guidance, as most of us do. And, and that was really helpful. But being so close in age to many of my students when I started, it was very natural for me to, to also lean the other direction and ask them for input or feedback on things that were going on. And it was such a great learning opportunity for me to hear perspectives from both directions. And it became really a go-to strategy that I used and have used throughout my career that you get different perspectives and different kinds of expertise you know, from that generational diversity. And I thought, what a great opportunity we all have. As you said, so many different generations in the workforce that's continuing to rise as people are working longer and living longer. And so great, that opportunity is just increasing. And so at the time I reached out to different professionals. I was being asked to come speak with different groups. And I thought, great, we're going to talk about how everyone's benefiting from this really interesting kind of, of diversity of thought. And I probably don't have to tell you that, that that was not the sentiment that I found when I went out. It was really at the time, it was when our millennials had first entered the workforce. That was the time in which I started, um, you know, just a couple years after that. And so people were tearing their hair out. It wasn't this, oh yes, what a great positive experience I'm having. It was, what are we going to do? Who do they think they are? You know, this very negative narrative. And so I became really fascinated on why the conversation was being narrated so negatively, because I think my background in organizational behavior and in, in, you know, industrial psychology, I see difference as, as potential, right? Like how right. fascinating that we think and, and have lived differently and now we can learn, oh, but it wasn't, it wasn't being viewed like any other kind of difference. You know, we have all these best practices and diversity and inclusion. We have things we know about cross-cultural management and the ways that you interact when you're, you're interacting with people across cultures. None of that is actually used when it comes to generational or age diversity. It's like we stop short of that and say, yeah, but that doesn't have anything to do with, with age or generational differences. And so that's really been my focus is one, helping to shift this conversation to something more positive and constructive, and two, trying to help people apply what we know works with other kinds of difference to this kind of difference. 
I love it. And in fact, you did a TEDx talk at Miami University. I watched it. And what I what I loved was because when the millennials showed up, I had a number of people in my world that were complaining about them as well, where I was like, I'm fast. I feel like I feel like I'm waiting for them to show up, you know? So I was very fascinated with millennials. And one of the things, and, and you you spoke to this, the way I always described it was, look, millennials, they had a seat at the table. Their parents brought them places with, the, you know, it wasn't like mom and dad went out to dinner every Saturday and the, the babysitter was there. The kids went to dinner. The kids went on vacation. The kids did everything. They had a seat at the table. So now you expect them to be in the workplace and not have a seat at the table. They're expecting a seat at the table. No, and and exactly. I mean, what you're what you were seeing and, and understanding was hard for a lot of of people, particularly the irony that the people taking them to dinner, right, or or giving them the seat at the table at their own house, were also the people calling me and saying, "You got to come in here and help us understand what to do." And it's like, well, you can't call your kids in the morning and tell them to come to my office and, you know, negotiate a better exam grade with me or call HR to, you know, get themselves what they want. And then in the afternoon, tear your hair out because your employees of the same age are doing that, right? That it doesn't, we can't have it both ways. And so there right. was that very interesting you know, disconnect there, particularly at that time, you know, certainly things have shifted a little bit since then as the millennials have now hit 26 to 42 this year. Right. So, you yeah. know, certainly we, we have to stop using that name, as, you know, to refer to all young people, but uh, that's an interesting dynamic too, right? What happens when they are in charge or they are greeting a, a new generation um, and we're seeing that unfold as well. So the story will just keep continuing, which is why I love it. Like the generations will, will change, but the, right. the challenge doesn't change. So you part of what you're doing then, I mean, you're, well, what you are doing is you're helping these organizations understand, here's how you guys communicate with each other. Here's how you learn from each other. I mean, different perspectives, that is an amazing thing for organizations to embrace and what to bring on, right? It really, it helps them in so many ways. That's the goal, right? You know, my my sort of mantra with with gentelligence and gentelligence is obviously a term I think most people understand when they hear it, but it is a term I coined to really it, it has the meaning of one being smarter about the way we look at generational differences, but also creating collective intelligence that comes from generational diversity of thought. So Growing up in different periods of time does bring a different kind of interesting expertise, right? Every every generation develops the tools and expertise they need to be successful in the time in which they live. And those tools change, you know, as life changes and the world changes. And so why not learn from those differences, right? Instead of this tug of war of no, this is how we do it, sit down or the vice versa. You know, it's also about championing the fact that we're not just going to throw out everything we did before in favor of the shiny and new. Neither of those is, is very productive. It's, it's the integration, right? The fact that you might have this fresh idea, a fresh new way of looking at a situation or a problem and let's merge that with someone who has decades of experience of how to get traction 
in an organization or how to work through a system or what might possibly go wrong and how might we be able to, to overcome that? You know, those, that's the way we solve new problems is, is right. that learning, but, but there's so many roadblocks in the way, right? Like it makes sense. Nobody has ever said to me, Megan, I don't understand. Right. Like, I think when you, you lay it out, people go, well, yeah, of course that, that should work left to your own devices. It doesn't, you know, there's research showing us that an age diverse team without any kind of proactive leadership strategy or intervention will just experience a lot of conflict and communication troubles and all of the things that many of us have experienced. So there has to be a strategy. If we want to experience the learning and the teaching and the benefit, we have to be sort of proactive about changing our natural patterns. You know, there's a lot of research showing we don't tend to mingle across ages at work. We tend to stick with our like age groups that are familiar and they are comfortable to us. And if I don't interact with somebody who's a lot older or younger than me naturally, well, then of course I'm going to stereotype or I'm going to generalize because I don't have any personal connections to use to say, oh, right. Okay. I can actually understand why someone from that generation might feel that way because my friend X told me about this situation from their perspective. Right. And so there's a lot of things we get into in the book about how do you overcome the roadblocks, but then how do you also start building up that, that potential and that opportunity? So what are some of the, I mean, I, so, you know, I'm, I'm closer to 60 now than 50 and I've got a a daughter who's 20. And one of the things that has helped me is just to sit down with her and ask and like, show me some funny TikTok videos, you know, and some of them I don't like, I really don't understand why they're funny. So she has to explain to me, but like, well, mom, it started with this one guy and he did this and they're making, you know, I have to like learn the language of TikTok with her. But, um, I feel like I, and I also watched a lot of the same shows she did, mm. you know, cause she would say, oh, this show's so great. And even if I didn't think the show was great, I felt like I learned a lot about what her generation, she's gen, so she would be gen Z, right? Cause at 20. And, um, and so I felt like I understood a lot more about what her generation is dealing with and what they were thinking because I was watching the same TV shows that she would watch. And I would ask her to hang out with me and show me something so I could understand it. Is that part of what you're helping on an organizational level to do? Yeah, because I think, you know, it's, it's interesting. We're, we're not, it's not rocket science in a way, right? It's, it's good leadership. It's good interpersonal skills. It's good communication skills applied to a topic or, or a situation, a challenge that we just don't think to apply it to. So what you're talking about is, you know, you're building mutual respect that when, you know, younger people are very sensitive and we always have been as younger people, I'm no longer a younger person, quote unquote, but we've always been sensitive when we're younger that people older than us are are looking down on us, right? They're patronizing us. They're not valuing our perspectives, our opinions. And of course it works both ways, right? Older people also feel like they're being dismissed or excused. So it's, it's this idea of how do we build that trust? How do we build that, you know, psychological safety across ages where, you know, somebody's your daughter's not going to say to you like, oh, I was watching the funniest show and you dismiss that. It's not funny. I don't understand why that's funny, right? That's right. very dismissive of something that they 
enjoy or, or find interesting. And so instead engaging with, well, let me see it. And then even if you don't, I mean, understand, not understanding it and having this honest conversation, help me understand what you love so much about this. Right. I have a 16 year old son, so I hear you. Right. Like, yeah, we had this great conversation. His best friend was over for the Super Bowl and like talk about, I can't even tell you how many generational things have come out of the Super Bowl. I'm writing an article like as we speak for um, an outlet about the halftime show and why we're in this tug of war about who owns the halftime show generationally. And, but there was that commercial with the QR codes that were bouncing. Right. What a great intelligence moment because my husband and I are like, okay, we know those are QR codes. I know what to do with them. He's less sure. And my son and his best friend were laughing hysterically and like, it's going to hit the corner. And we're thinking like, oh, we so don't understand. So it was a great conversation because I was like, okay, guys, someone's going to ask me about this. Educate me. Like how I don't have to think it's funny. Well, or did you do it? Did you? I Did tried to, but I was like late. Cause I'm like, what are we doing? Are we, are we QR coding? Are we waiting for the thing? Like, and they were like, so into it. And the thing I loved was like, even if you didn't get it, you still were talking about it and you were asking about True. it. And it was, that was the whole point, right. Of a Super Bowl ad. And so, you know, there's, there's people who are like, that's stupid. I didn't get that. And then there's the people who are like, okay, help me get it. Right. And I've always been a help me get it person, whether, you know, it used to be, as you said, in my Ted talk, it was, how do I build a website? You know, that's how I learned to use Venmo. Like I am still not great at Instagram, but I've got a room full of college students outside my office door. This morning I went out and I was well, Your like, Instagram feed looks great by the oh, way. Thanks. So, so yes, tell them very impressive. They're doing a great job. They're helping me. <laughs> and like, I went out this morning and I'm like, guys, I want to share someone else's story on my story. Where's the button for that. Right. And it's like, when you show interest in their expertise or their, you know, things that they find important, right. That's respect. And in much right. more likely that they're going to reciprocate, right. That they're going to not say, okay, boomer, when we are interested in something and instead be like, you know, at the halftime show, you know, they were like, who's that? And I'm like, well, let me educate you on the awesomeness <laughs> of Mary J. Blige or whatever it is. So, you know, I think that that's everything, whether it's something fun, like, you know, pop culture or it's something at work where, you know, if somebody comes to you as a 22 year old and says, I have this great idea, I think we should X, Y, and Z. If your response is, yeah, we can't do that. Like go sit down. You just got here and you're dismissive. Right. They're going to reciprocate by being dismissive of your advice or your mentoring. But if you say, tell me more about that, like, how would we do it? Like, what, what is your vision? And you take that genuine interest and show that respect when you then need to say, okay, let me walk you through a few challenges I anticipate based on what I've experienced. They're going to listen. Right. And that's, that's right mutual respect. That's, we know that works, but we just can't quite connect it to this topic. There's, there's a real block we have about those things working in this context. Uh, and I, I need people to get over the block because <clears throat> it's so, excuse me, let me take a drink real quick. Paul, you'll have to cut this out of the podcast. <laughs> <clears throat> have a frog in my throat. So no, by the way, the QR code, I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. And because it looked like Pong, mm -hmm. which was from 
like my parents, I watched with my parents. So my parents were like, it's like Pong. You know, so that was their first thought. And I was like, well, it's a QR code. So I'm going to see, you know, where, and I'm like, oh, that's brilliant. Now I must've gotten in before it broke their sight. And mm-hmm. I'm sorry, people that made the commercial. I can't remember who you are. Isn't that terrible? But I can't, um, but it- I think it was yeah. Coinbase. And like mm-hmm. my son and his friend were like, it's going to hit the corner. It's going to hit the corner. And so I had to ask my students, I'm like, did we want it to hit the corner? Why do we care if it hits the corner? Like, yeah. How fun, right? What a fun sort of- It was example. brilliant. Yeah, I thought it, it was, was great. Brilliantly done. So simple and so brilliant at the same time. I was- very impressed with it. But, um, okay. We were talking about that whole, you know, blocks and opening up beyond those blocks. There's so much, I mean, I just feel like you're, you're, you're not allowing yourself so much great information by not opening up to the other generations and hearing what they have to say, because there are reasons why people act in a certain way, you know? I mean, my, my grandfather who has since passed, but I remember we gave him a a VCR when that was a thing and he didn't want to turn it on. He felt like it was, he was like, well, you have to keep it plugged in all the time. And it's just using up electricity. Now, even though it was probably 10 cents a year of electricity, you know, in his mind, it was, that's wasteful. Right. And I lived through the depression and I can't be wasteful. Right. You and know, what so good, there's reasons. And that's the thing a lot about, you know, gentelligence is let's look for the reasons, right? Because yeah. one of the roadblocks that I think is most important, because if you look at the research on this, or you even go to any of the popular press articles, you see a lot of debate, like our generational difference is real. Our generation's important. Like there's been some things, let's get rid of generations. And I say, no, you know, that's like sort of saying, let's let's all be colorblind. Like it's certainly better than being biased and stereotypical, but you're you're not valuing the importance of difference then when, when that's your solution. What we really mean is like, let's not stereotype and write people off, you know, without understanding them, which we all, I hopefully agree with. But one of the roadblocks that I think is most important is what we call, you know, perceived need or value differences. So there are universal human needs, right? I don't care if you're 80 or, or eight. We know people have universal needs. They're, they go by different names, but things like respect, connection, mm-hmm. competence, autonomy, like own eight, you know, contr- being control of your own situation. And so we all have those, but So when we do research, we sometimes say, look, all generations are the same. We all have these needs, but everyone kind of, you know, wrinkles up their forehead and goes, are you sure? Like I, that has not been my experience and and where it's different and where we, we don't get into the interesting complexity sometimes is we have the same needs, but the norms we've learned on how to pursue or fulfill those needs look very different often. So the, I love the story of, um, when our book came out this last summer, I was in Iowa with my parents who are baby boomers. And my dad is a retired attorney. He's 73. And he he was asking me some questions about the book. And he said, well, when I started my career, you know, the way you got respect is you put your head down and you worked hard and you waited for your boss to come in and tap you on the shoulder and say, you know, John, it's time, it's time for your promotion. Like you, you're ready. 
And he said, by the time I retired, those kids were, those kids, right. Those kids Uh were telling me it was time for their promotion and their raise. And I just didn't get it. And I said, great. Like, let's, let's unpack it. Right. You were taught that the way you get respect, which you wanted and needed was to put your head down, be quiet, work hard, wait. They were raised. The way you get respect is you raise your hand and you, you go get it right. You let them know you're ready. Like put me in coach. I can do it. Anything's possible for me. So the need is the same, right? Understand where it's coming from. Like if you realize that they wanted the same thing you wanted at that that stage of your career and your life, but the way they were brought up to get it just looked different, would it change your reaction? Would you, instead of saying, who do they think they are or those entitled kids, could you have had a conversation about like, okay, help me understand, right? Help me understand as like the best intelligence, you know, sort exactly. of phrase. Help me under, whether it's that show you're watching that makes no sense to me or help me understand what's behind this request. Like to me, it seems like maybe you haven't been here long enough to learn all the things I need you to learn or are you seeing this differently? And maybe what they want is to know, I see you, you're definitely on the right track it here's when we'll talk about this again. And then they're happy to go back to work or maybe not. Right. It just depends, but it's helped me understand. Let's us figure out where's that common ground of where our needs are the same, even though they may look different in, in sort of our pursuit of them. And it is, it's so true. Help me understand is something you can use everywhere. And it, and, you know, and I get that even just with anything, the people that send you an email without any context, they want to, they've got this question and you're thinking, wait, where is this coming? I can't really answer this unless I know where it's coming from, you know? So is it, help me understand what's behind this question. So I know what, what I need to, how I need to answer this. Cause I'm not sure exactly where it's coming from. You know what I mean? But I love that. And, and, um, oh, well, good. I'm glad I'm doing that. I feel better about myself. <laughs> Um, so let, so tell everybody where they can get your book. Uh, well, just about anywhere. So it's on Amazon, uh, or independent booksellers. It's, um, also an audio book. So you can get it on audible. There's the Kindle version of it. Our narrator for the audio book is amazing. So I'd never been through that process before. It's really cool. We got to hear different narrators and choose, and she was our hands down favorite. So she's really great to listen to. So, um, it's available any of those places. Um, some other exciting things that are happening. So I'm getting ready to launch uh, something called Gentelligence Academy. So I do a lot of webinars and workshops and there's only one of me. So um, I was trying to figure out how do we spread this movement and get people, um, you know, working more towards uh, embracing a Gentelligent way of working. And so uh, we're going to be launching, hopefully, fingers crossed, March 1st, our Gentelligence Academy, which is an online learning platform where people can become certified in Gentelligence. So um, that will be launching soon as well. So lots of exciting stuff going on. Well, and then if you're in St. Louis, you can come here, Megan be the keynote speaker for Be Heard, which is a women's leadership conference that's going on at St. Louis University on April 8th. I'm excited for that. I'm excited to meet you there. Are you, are you, is is your keynote going to be about like what we've talked about here or is there a, another angle we get to 
look well, at? Well, of course, always bringing in new things. So yeah, it's going to be about, you know, of course, your intelligence, but we're going to dig into what are some of those other roadblocks. Uh, and then we have developed four practices to help people get through them, right? So just how we talked about, you know, quick tool of, of help me understand, we have practices and also some key sort of tools and a toolkit that we want people to be able to have access to. Um, so definitely we'll bring a few new things to the conversation on April 8th for sure. Very cool. Yeah. So everybody, especially women that want to be heard, this is the, the conference to uh, understand how to do so. I just love it. So I have a few questions for you. Okay. Um, one of the things I loved is you talked about finding a mutual mentor. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you teach organizations how to do this, but if a person just wants to, if they're like, I need a younger person to help me or an older person, like, is it just ask, or is there a platform for this? Well, you know, we recommend that organizations create platforms or we have some strategies for, you know, how do you create a a mutual mentorship mentality in your organization? So I'm a firm believer that that mentorship in any direction has to be sort of natural and organic, right? If I assign you a mentor, you may not find that person to be inspirational or somebody you want to learn from. It's more about generating the conversation. And so, you know, I think outside of the workplace, it's, it's the ask. I can tell you every time I put up, um, you know, a question on whatever it is, Facebook, or I pop my head out the door and say, does anybody know how to blank? Or I would love to learn this. I mean, I don't care what age you are. If somebody wants to learn something that you're good at, most people love that. Right. And I think particularly older people, a lot of us are at that stage where meaningful career or meaningful uh, sort of contribution often includes paying it forward and teaching and passing down what we know, but we don't always realize how much that also is meaningful to younger people. And they do have a kind of natural expertise that we can learn. We're certainly very capable. It's a stereotype that we aren't capable of learning, Um, but we don't necessarily, you know, naturally seek out the same sorts of, um, whether it's new tech or new tools, the way you do when you're younger. And so when you see something and you want to learn how to use it, I have never asked and not had four or five people say, what do you want to know? I'd be happy to show you how to do that. Right. right? Because what a great way to feel valued. And so I think you can, it doesn't even have to be hard. I think, you know, reaching out and saying like, I would love to learn X, Y, and Z. Is anybody out there interested in teaching? Anybody want to join with me in learning this? Um, or if there's something that you love and you want to teach people, you know, inviting people to anybody want to sit in on a session, I'm going to sort of teach people how to do this cool thing that I know how to do. Um, yeah, it doesn't have to be too formal, um, but just it's a mindset, really, like getting used to the fact that learning can happen in, in any direction. And I think that's awesome to have that mindset that, you know, you you may be, someone may reach out to you for you to teach them something, but realize they could teach you as well. So, you know, be open to listening to what they're saying. Um, okay, so I do you have, is there... What's the next generation after Gen Z? Have are there predictions? Is there have we landed on one? So before the pandemic, they were they the the idea was it was going to at least preliminarily be called Generation Alpha. 
So like the Atlantic did a piece and they were, they had Pew Research Center is where I use for all my generational cut dates here in the U.S. because I like to use a, a established framework. And they were saying 2012 was going to be the cut date for Gen Z and that we were going to move on to Generation Alpha. Because, of course, when you start with X, you reach Z pretty quick, right? Right, um, right. And it was all about, you know, alpha being sort of, you know, dominant. And it was an interesting kind of raw narrative. And then when the pandemic hit, you know, we got all of these speculations about, you know, we'll call them Generation C for COVID and like all these oh, horrible God. things, the pandemials <laughs> or, you know, I'm like, no. we can't, you can't name a generation Let's not after, do that to them. Like, no. hopefully the worst thing that happens during their lifetime. Um, I it's interesting. I feel like there's a bit been a bit of a pause because if you look at the art of generational sort of, you know, creation, it's often like a big event that we use as a cut point, socially, formatively, something going on. And so like, if you think about the millennials, I get the question a lot, like, why are they called millennials if the birth date ends in 1996? It doesn't include 2000, which is a good question. There's two schools of thought. One, originally the idea was that everybody in that generation will would have come, you know, would would be, or the earliest members of that generation would be coming of age during the new millennium, right? So if they were started in 1981, right, by the time they, the new millennium, they would be 19, you know, whatever, something like that. Um, the other sort of school of thought I've read about it is we want everybody in that generation to have a working memory of 9-11 as well as the turn of the millennium. So we cut it in 1996 with the idea that if you were four or five, right, during 9-11, you would remember it happening or remember the event or the aftermath. So if we use that same rationale then about the pandemic, I believe we would want everybody in Gen Z, you know, Gen Z to include everybody who has a memory of the pandemic beginning. So that to me would be closer to like a 2015 than a 2012. Otherwise, we're going to have this weird thing where the next generation will have some kids who were in school during the pandemic as well as Gen Z. Whereas if you cut it in like 2015, the oldest, you know, um, of the next generation would not have yet been in school when the pandemic okay. hit, right? And that right. to me is a cleaner narrative to say you had to have at least been in kindergarten when the pandemic hit to be included in Gen Z. And then we move on to the kids that won't have any memory of at least the beginning, you know, knock on wood, they won't have any memory of any of it. Um, right. So I think it's a moving entity. I I don't know. I think, you know, I've made the argument that Gen Z should be called the Zoomers for lots of obvious reasons. Um, right. And that Gen, the next generation, you know, name to be determined. I think it's so many things are changing so quickly. But I'm with you. Let's not call them generations. I think that's C. horrible. Let's know that would be, that just feels oh, like, you know, that, yeah, yuck. Let's, right. I don't want to be called like the challenger disaster generation or, right. You know, or, no, exactly. That's just, that's, that's just too, not okay. It's not, I'm with you on that. Yeah. So, um, the, a big part and everything, you know, like the podcast is really about kindness, which of course that's what you're doing. You know, you're doing a lot of kindness, teaching these generations about each other. 
off the top of your head, have you witnessed, received, uh, given any kindness lately? Oh, goodness. Yeah, I think so. You were commenting uh, nicely about my post about the cookies. So I spent my weekend here uh, at the university. I'm co-director of our Center for Business Leadership, and it is very much a gentelligence um you know, uh, endeavor because we have undergraduates that basically lead the center and help develop the leadership of their classmates. And we have a few faculty directors who sort of supervise, but, but largely it's them. And I think for me, it was such, there's two kinds of kindness. One, I had older students who gave up their whole weekend to help teach younger students when I asked, right? So of course they did it for me, but they also did it for those students. Um, and it was one of those moments, I think, as as an older person, as a teacher, as a mentor, where I realized I probably didn't need to be there at all. You know, I was there in case they needed me. I was there to, you know, I tag team teaching some things with them, but they had come so far and were so invested and so willing to, you know, that's really the goal of leadership, right? Is to, to, you know, create more leaders, not more followers. And so it's maybe a different way of defining kindness, but I just was so, I was so thankful for not only their competence, but their, their motivation and their willingness to, to help us do something great. Um, so that was really fun. That for me was a big kindness. And then I loved, I'm stress baking a lot lately. It's sort of a different (laughs) part of my brain. And so, um, I came home from a full day of teaching this lab. And then I made those Super Bowl cookies for my son um, and his friend for the Super Bowl. But then I was like, I think, you know, it was a team lab. So I was like, I'm going to make, we're a team. I'm going to make these. And they, you know, they were so sweet. They love them. So yeah, I mean, to me, it's the little things like that um, on both ends that, that I remember. Very fun. Well, this has been delightful. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I mean, this subject is just fascinating to me. And I I love that it's the focus of your work and that you're bringing it out there and you're bringing it to St. Louis too. I'm excited for that. Yes, I can't wait. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Megan. And everyone out there, you've been listening to Mishmash Podcast. So, you know, learn from those around you, learn from the other generations. And thank you so much for listening in. Love you all. Bye.